0: Here we go, you're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, December the 19th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. We only have four more days where, where we will be live on KFUO, Thursday is our last day, and then there's a little vacation that we'll be back in January. But right now, we want to take a look at the lesson for this coming Sunday which is Christmas. It's the Nativity of our Lord on December the 25th in the year of our Lord, 2022. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 52. And I consider Isaiah to be one of the finest Old Testament books written from a theological point of view. It's got some history in it but it explains God very well and the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection. The Epistle is from the first chapter of Hebrews, chapter one, verses one to six. And the Gospel, Boy, well, you would think that the Gospel selected for Christmas Day would be about the birth of Jesus but that was read last Sunday. And so this Sunday, it's the very beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse one. So let's take a look at it to see how important it is for Christmas. In the beginning was the Word. So what do they mean by the beginning? Well, what John is referring to is the beginning of all creation. That before creation was the Word. And that in the English is capitalized. Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So where do you find that in the beginning? Well, you go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter one, the very first verse talks about God, the father creating the world. The next verse talks about the Holy spirit hovering over the face of the waters. And the next verse talks about, and God said, let there be light. Now, who was it that said, let there be light? Well verse 2 of John 1 says he was in the beginning with God so this is prior to creation and that's why it says the word was God in fact God speaks about him as his only begotten son which is very important that's from Hebrews chapter 1, because God did not say that to an angel, according to verse 5. He never said to an angel, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or to an angel, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Now, never in the Bible are we to worship anyone but God. We don't worship our parents. We don't worship elected officials in the government. We don't worship heroes. We worship only God. So the book of Hebrews, very first chapter, makes it clear that this word was with God, and he was God. That's verse 1. Now, verse 3 is interesting. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, I thought the Father and the Holy Spirit contributed to creation. Well, that's correct, but it was the Holy Trinity that did the creation of the world, and there was nothing made that the Son did not participate in. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, it's very good to know metaphors because it is impossible for God to speak clearly about himself in heaven without a metaphor. What we mean by that is God describes himself to something that we are aware of. Jesus is the light of men, which means before one believes in him, a person is not in light, they are in darkness. It's interesting to note that when Jesus said in Genesis chapter one, let there be light, the sun had not yet been created. It reminds us that when we go to heaven, It says there's hardly going to be a need for the sun because the light of Jesus Christ will be all over heaven. And that reminds us that the light of Jesus is a way of talking about how we are saved. In fact, verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, when we speak of darkness, the Bible is referring to the kingdom of Satan. And so in the kingdom of Satan, which is earth right now, since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin took place, there is darkness. People, they're not born with faith in Jesus Christ they need to be baptized or hear the word of God and come to faith. And the darkness is not able to overcome the light. So now John begins to talk about how God, the person of Jesus Christ, was revealed in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, we're not referring to the gospel of John, not that writer. We're referring to John the baptizer. Gabriel had come to his father and said that even before he is born, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And remember, when he was six months in the womb of Elizabeth, he jumped for joy when Jesus who was only a few hours in the womb of Mary, entered into the home of Elizabeth. So, John the baptizer, it says, verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, him doesn't refer to John the baptizer, but to Jesus. And verse eight makes that clear. He, John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, the metaphor I like using is, let's say you get very hungry and there's nothing really to eat at home. Your dad comes home from work and your mom says, I didn't get a chance to go shopping and he says, well, let's all go to McDonald's and we'll have a meal there. And you get very joyful over that because he is a witness to how you will be fed. Your dad is not the food, but he bears witness to the food. Jesus is the light of the world, not John the baptizer. But John the Baptizer is very eager to talk about Jesus as the light of the world. Now, stop and think about that. If you have Jesus as the Son of God being the witness to the world and the light of the world, what would you be talking about? Well, you would be talking about those who believe that they're saved in the darkness. And there were many people who thought they were saved because of their good works. John the Baptizer illustrates that good works do not save you. Not at all. That instead, it is the true light, Jesus, who will enlighten the world. And that's what verse 9 says. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Remember, light is the life. People are born dead in sin. And they're brought to life through faith in Jesus Christ. And when they believe in Jesus Christ, they come to faith, which means they believe the promises of the gospel. What are those promises? Well, Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And forgiveness means that God is no longer going to hold you accountable for your sins. Why can he do that? I thought that the punishment was death for sin. And it is for the unrepentant and eternal death. But for the repentant who now trust in the light of the world, they repent of their sins, undergo the baptism of repentance, which Jesus himself did, even though John the baptizer argued with him, I need to be baptized by you. You ought not be being baptized by me because you are sinless. But God had declared, that's God the Father, that Jesus Christ was sin. He not only was incarnate, but he was incarnate, became flesh in order to die for your sin. And it doesn't matter if your sins are horrible, if they're sins of deed, word, or mouth. In the Sermon on the Mount, all three types of sin deserve eternal condemnation. But God, in the person of Jesus Christ, died for those sins, and he takes you into his heavenly kingdom, as the Holy Spirit provides you with faith. And what is faith? Faith is trusting in the promises of God. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That is taught a number of times in the Bible. And my favorite passage for that is Romans chapter six. Because God decided that, yes, Jesus paid for the sins of the world. But how is that benefit given to us? It's given to us through the means of grace. What's the means of grace? That is the method which God took these gracious gifts and applied them to us. And when you look at Romans 6, what were those gracious gifts? Number one, you were crucified with Christ. Number two, you were buried with Christ. Number three, you were raised from the dead with Christ. And number four, you have ascended into heaven. Now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can you ascend into heaven if you're still on earth? Well, we look at another metaphor where Jesus is the head of the body. You are parts of the body. Where is Jesus? He is now at the right hand of God. Therefore, where the head is, so also is the body. That's why, when we pray to God, we don't need to go through a saint or another person. We pray directly to Jesus, and we are given the assurance that God the Father hears our prayers and answers us. So, in verse nine of John chapter one, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, but the world did not know him. Now that was obvious. The world is referring to sinful humanity. Not only the unbelieving Pharisees, at times not only the disciples, but even his own family did not believe his promises. For if they had, Mary, his mother, would not have been with the women on Sunday after his death to go and anoint his dead body. She would have reminded them of his promise that in three days he would rise from the dead. But it appears that nobody remembered that promise until Jesus appeared to them. The true light, which enlightens everyone who believes, is coming into the world, even though the world was made through him, but the world did not come and know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Remember at Nazareth, He had preached a sermon, but he wanted to do miracles. And the people wanted to stone him. And he just went between them and left. But to all who did receive him. Now, that's really an important phrase. John chapter 1, verse 12. It's not to all who accepted him. To receive Jesus Christ is not an act of your will. You don't come to a decision and say, wow, I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to invite him in my heart. Because once you have that attitude, guess what? He has already come into your heart. The Holy Spirit has placed him there. So it's a waste of time to ask Jesus, to come into your heart. It's like having a Christmas meal and all the family is there. And you begin the meal by saying, I would like to invite you into our house. No, you already have your friends in your house and your relatives. You wouldn't say that. They have already come. And so you don't have to invite them in order that they are there. They are there because they came for the Christmas meal. So, those who did receive him, not accept him, received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is really, really important. You are a child of God. You were once a child of the devil. You were in his kingdom. But through coming to faith, which was a work of the Holy Spirit, you now become a child of God. But I thought that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. Yes, nobody else is referred to as his begotten. That didn't mean that Jesus was born at a time when he did not exist. It meant instead, as the creed teaches us, that he was one substance of the Father, one essence. He was divine from before the beginning of time. There was never an occasion in which Jesus did not live, but he gave the right for those who believe to become children of God. Now, if he was the only begotten son, how are we children of God? Because we are not begotten according to another metaphor in the Bible, we are adopted. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're a begotten son or an adopted son. You have all the rights and privileges that the begotten has. In other words, you are truly a son of God. And parents for a long time may not mention that you have been adopted. But then as you get older, to clarify things, they will tell you that, but it won't matter because they're still treating you as a child of the family. So that's what it means that you have become children of God. But how did that happen? Verse 13 you were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god see that once more really makes it clear that you received god you didn't become a child of god by accepting him that wasn't your work is a work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So being adopted, you were born into the family of God, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It wasn't a decision that you made, it was God's decision. And that's why when you get to heaven and you are asked the question, who gets all the credit for your salvation? Every Christian will answer, Jesus the Christ. Because apart from him, you don't have life. And yet you receive that life at the moment that you received faith, believing in the promises of the gospel, not the promises of the law. The promises of the law are pretty clear. If you obey me, you will be saved. And that could have been true for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had they never rebelled against God. But at the moment they rebelled against him and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they had rejected the promises of God. And remember what happened? They were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. What the church is all about is the way that God places you back in the Garden of Eden. And that placement does not wait until you die and you go to heaven. No, it occurs at the very moment that the Holy Spirit grants you faith to believe the promises of the gospel. So verse 14 is really important in this first chapter of John because it really tells us who the Word is. That verse one said, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and everything made was made through Him. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, who became flesh? It had to be someone who was not flesh. It wasn't an angel. It was God himself the second person of the Trinity, the Word, Jesus Christ. We often have said that the first act of Jesus Christ was not his being born. No, that's what we celebrate on Christmas Day. His incarnation, becoming flesh, took place nine months before his birth as Gabriel said to Mary, you will be with child, and he will be the Holy One, and he will be the Son of God. And she questioned, how is that possible? In light of the fact that I know not a man. And Gabriel told her, she would conceive, as we say in our creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So that incarnation took place nine months before birth. That's why we believe that every child in the womb is a human being. And to take its life would be an act of murder. John chapter 1. Wonderful text for Christmas Day showing that Jesus is the light of the world and you are children of God's family. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we look at the hymn, We Praise You, Jesus, at Your Birth. Join with us. I'm Tom Baker. I'll be with Mark Smith. Till then, God bless you.